My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hello and welcome everybody to It Still Lives, a Foxfire podcast. We're your hosts, Kimmy Ahrens. And I'm TJ Smith. And today we've got another special little bonus episode for you guys based on some of the responses that we received after doing a quick social media poll on Instagram. A lot of you um, commented about wanting to know more about growing your own food and gardening practices, um, which, you know, regardless of the current situation is pretty apt for this time of year. I've already started thinking about what I'm going to plant and unfortunately probably kill because I'm not a very good gardener, but maybe I will learn something from this as well. You know, it, the, I, I say this, you know, everybody can do gardening. I, I really believe that. It's just some of us fail more than others when we get started. <laughs> right here, this one. Um, and that's that's just part of the process. Um, I'm, I'm excited because we are, we've also been preparing the Heritage Garden here at Foxfire Um Cammy and I and um, Aaron, who was our, our spring intern, um, we went out there uh, last week and got the leaves spread out uh, that will be cut into the cut into the soil later on, just sort of as a, a little bit of a cover. We didn't do a cover crop this year, um, but there's still time um, for people to do that, and we'll get into that more. I'm, I'm planning to do a, a special series, uh, video series, on what we're calling COVID-19 Victory Gardens. Um can't take credit for that. I saw uh, Sean Brock made a post uh, about a week ago. It's like, we need to inspire COVID-19 victory gardens. And I'm totally on board with that. Can uh, you maybe just explain for those who don't know what makes it a victory garden? Yeah. So obviously we're not fighting a war. We're, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the victory gardens that, that came about during World War II, mm-hmm. uh, the United States government was encouraging everyone to grow a garden, but also in England, it was very popular mm-hmm. to have a victory garden. Um, but it was, you know, getting through the wartime um, by su- supplementing and, and, and adding to the national food stores uh, by growing your own food. Um, and in the case of COVID-19, uh, because of our uh, social distancing and, and self-isolation and that sort of thing, you know, people are being encouraged not to make so many trips to the grocery store. And one great w- way to do that is to grow your own food. So we're, we're hoping to have a victory over COVID-19, but also a victory for your own personal health. Growing a garden has so many uh, wonderful uh, health attributes, not just the food itself, but also just being outdoors and being in the sunshine, having family time, especially if you have young kids, uh, getting, out in the, getting out in the dirt and playing and growing something is really a wonderful, healthy, like emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, spiritually healthy. And then of course, from a, from a, health perspective and wellness perspective it's just so good for you yeah so we really want to encourage um everyone to check in on those videos that we're going to do later on and and um, send us your questions and i'm gonna go ahead and say like you know i have a way of doing gardens i have my approach everybody has their own approaches there are so many wonderful resources online about gardening but the key point is that with very little space, you can grow a remarkable amount of food. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I'll be getting into with my series is talking about things like square foot gardening, 
uh, and small box gardening um, because I understand, you know, a lot of people don't have huge, you know, swaths yeah. of land to go out and plant a big garden. So. Well, what my problem has been is sun. lack of sun, yes. full sun. Yeah. So I have found that um, Walmart has these like drink tins, like, you know, for summertime. Yeah. They're like aluminum bins that you're supposed to use as like fancy coolers. But I take those and I punch holes in the bottom of them fill them up and I've got myself like really great space for potted plants. So mm-hmm. I have one for herbs and one for greens and they're light enough that I can just move them around right. and follow the sunshine. So, you know, there's tons of options out there and you just, you know, can find ways to work with whatever space you've got yeah, and you can grow stuff inside too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Um, years ago, uh, prior to my life here at Foxfire, I was living in Atlanta and, and doing some work there with, um, different organizations and, and entities around food security of the city. And one of the gentlemen I got to work with was a guy named Eugene Cook, who managed uh, what was known as the Wheat Street Garden in downtown Atlanta. And um, he told stories about um, he would make visits out to Africa and uh, worked with people there on growing using uh, the, the large burlap rice sacks. So they yeah, would use those heard about huge this. rice sacks uh, to grow everything from tomatoes to cucumbers to whatever. Like they're just essentially portable uh, 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 plant pots, but they have the added ability to hold moisture, but also drain well. So it's like a nice balance. It's getting the soil the right amount of moisture, but it's also something that people could do on a balcony mm-hmm. if that's all the space they had. It yeah. was a way, you know, and fairly inexpensive because there are lots of these burlap sacks easily available um so you can really really grow anywhere and anything um with a very small amount of space so we'll be getting in into uh, more of that later um this is something that's really dear to me it's something i've been involved with in a couple different uh career stops in my life um starting at i was a member of a faculty at at a community college in atlanta uh to the food bank of northeast georgia where i was doing work with um creating a food hub for local farmers here in uh, this region of, of Northeast Georgia uh, and then here at Foxfire. So um, I'm really excited about that. We have a lot of really great relationships with farms here locally too still. Um, and so, you know, there's there's so many great resources we'll be able to provide. I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to it. But today we're going to focus on some historic methods of gardening. And again, I think, I think these are really informative and have – a lot that can be helpful to modern day gardeners as well. But we're going to focus on just two individuals today. um, And that's Esco Pitts and Harriet Eccles. And they both talk at length and in great detail about gardening practices from when they were children. And just to kind of put it in perspective, Esco Pitts talks about his father and his mother and how they gardened. And he mentioned specifically that his dad moved into this area from North Carolina in the 1870s. So that's how far back these gardening practices go. Um, Both of them mentioned, you know, the lack of fertilizer. Nobody used commercial fertilizer. Nobody used commercial, like, spray products, bug products. Um, You know, they got fertilizer from their barnyard. That's probably the best, best way to make soil grow. And then what's also interesting is they both talk about how there weren't bugs. Um, So a lot of the bugs that we see today are probably invasive or coming in um, or more prolific because of changes in climate and other things like that. So just kind of a really interesting perspective. 
But I do think they have some useful tips about gardening as well. They both give pretty detailed instructions for how to best plant sweet potatoes. Um, so that might be of interest to you if you're interested in growing potatoes. And then um, they both talk about kind of the cycle of crops and how to save seeds so you don't have to go and buy seeds. And then also um, they both mentioned the use of flowers in the garden, which is something that you and I have actually talked about, TJ. And Esco and Harriet don't really go into why their mother planted flowers, but they both recall their mothers having beautiful flowers around their garden. And marigolds specifically are known to be um, kind of an insect repellent. Yeah, they're very good deterrent. The good companion flowers with uh, tomatoes and other mm -hmm. uh, nightshade vegetables. Um, and then, of course, just having flowers in general, they attract pollinators. And, I mean, I, I don't think anybody out there has uh, not heard about the importance of bees and bee colonies to our, our agricultural system. And it's just, you know, it's a really great thing to have flowers in your garden and also things like bee balm and other herbs that are attractive. Uh, mountain mint up here, bees love mountain mint. So we, we actually have some mint growing around our garden up, at the, up here at Foxfire. Um, but just flowers in general that, you know, they do a lot for <laughs> bringing in butterflies and other pollinators as well. But then too, they're just, you know, it brightens your day to go out into the garden and to see, we like to plant zinnias and sunflowers and oh, yeah. cosmos and all kinds of things. So it's, there's all kinds of benefits to planting flowers with your garden. But yeah, it's, it's part of that whole building an ecology mm -hmm. around your garden. Mm -hmm. Like, eco like gardens don't need to be like these sterile hospital environments where well, it's they shouldn't only. they won't do well <laughs> that's right they won't but you know when you talk about the sort of more industrialized agriculture you, you're seeing single you know single crops commodity yeah. crops all planted with which is with... why we have to have chemicals and fertilizers exactly yeah. exactly but you know there's um lots of things like biodynamic farming which is a, a farming practice that i that i adhere to or try to adhere to and, and and believe in and that's like not just creating a garden but creating an ecology where you happen to be also growing food so that's something we'll like i said we'll get into uh later we'll just let these clips kind of play they're both a little bit longer than clips that we typically share um, but again both both esco and harriet do a really good job of kind of giving you a full picture of what, what was going on in their gardens. And then again, as TJ mentioned, make sure that you keep up to date and keep checking back on our um, social media or our website for some of that additional content that he'll be putting out in the next few weeks. So, And we also want to remind folks, you know, please uh, don't hesitate to um, share our material with people that you know. And again, if you have the means um, please donate to Foxfire. You can go to our website, foxfire.org. Just click the donate button. You can do it from Facebook. Uh, or if you aren't able just to donate and you would like to, to purchase something, we're, we're all about that too. Like we have a lot of great deals on books, uh, Foxfire merchandise, all sorts of things. So every little bit, especially during this time, helps us out tremendously. Um, you know, um, finding ways to, to, to support us again, it, it may be monetary, it may be by buying something, or it may be just you know getting the word out and sharing with friends. Everything that you could do like that would help us out a great deal, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, and I'd also like to just throw in there we just got some really awesome new t shirts in. Yes, really awesome new t shirts <laughs> for spring. So, if you shout are. out to Ryan Olson, thank you, Ryan, for <laughs> your design help and Cammie for her design work. Um, 
Yeah, they're really cool. They're really awesome. Um, they're very springy and summery. So we've got like a really awesome, like bright teal one if you're kind of more in the Patagonia Simply Southern style. But we also have a really awesome, like retro looking green raglan. And then who doesn't love a glow in the dark t shirt? Um, that's right. inspired by <laughs> uh, the cover for the newest book that's coming out in April. So, yep. If you're inclined, I would highly recommend checking out our website and taking a look at those because they're pretty, pretty awesome. We, they're also really soft. They're really soft. And then we're doing things too, like if you order uh, books, uh, you're getting a free copy, a back issue of the Foxfire magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's a that's a really cool deal. And then we're also doing buy two new T-shirts and get one yeah, of you, our old T-shirts for free. You, yeah, that's right. If you buy two of the new designs, we will throw in a free. Uh, I guess it's now a retro Foxfire shirt, <laughs> uh, but that's the the original shirts that we've been selling for about three years. That has that looks like the old school book covers. Uh, so just when you when you buy two, you'll uh, go in the notes section and add in your size and three color preferences for which of the older shirts that you'd like to get thrown in there. Yeah, it's like a fun little grab bag. So yep. anyway, every every little bit counts, and we so very much appreciate your support. We very much appreciate you all taking the time to listen to these podcasts and we really hope that you all continue to engage with us and send us your ideas. We want to make sure that during this time that we're giving you guys content that is um, enjoyable and engaging. Um, And, you know, we want to want to keep you all um, uplifted, positive, you know, and productive. So Yes, and again, if any recommendations or ideas that you have, you can uh, find us on Twitter at It Still Lives One. Or you can just email us at itstilllives at foxfire.org. And we're always glad to to see those recommendations come in. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Y'all stay safe. How the old people used to garden. Well, I can tell you, my daddy came from South Carolina in the 1870s. And uh, he lived right over there, about a mile. And he worked for old man Moore, Nelson Moore, that owned a lot of this bottom land over in here. But it was all covered in maple trees, and they had to cut the trees and clear patches of it. And there's so many roots it could not plant, so they planted it. They took local stakes and punched holes down in there and planted the corn. In, in amongst them roots, mm-hmm. and it was fertile. The ground was very fertile, and it really did produce fine corn. After he got his house built, he had to build a barn, and he built it out of the logs that he cut down. He built his barn and his crib. And then he had to had to build him a garden, and he had chickens and ducks, and geese, and, and you had to. Enclosed, put a fence around the garden, so he split chestnut palings. In those days, chestnut trees, well, that's mostly what he built his house out of. Chestnut trees would be 60 feet to the first limb and long, straight trees, and they'd split awful easy, and he just split palings about eight foot long, six feet, about six or eight feet. Are palings posts or rails or hmm? what are palings? Are they like posts or like rails? 
No. They're, they're thin slats. They're thin slats, about three-quarter of an inch thick, and as long as you want to make them, and about four to six inches wide. And then he put his, his locust posts in every eight feet, and made railings, made his railing one at the bottom, one at the top, to nail his palings to. Palings went up and down? Palings went up and down, and they're sharp on the top end. Like a picket fence? Picket fence, yeah. Did he put in fertilizer in the rows whenever they were Well, all the fertilizer they had was the barnyard manure, or the stock stable. That's all the fertilizer they had. And they'd use that. Uh, they'd either put it in the row or they'd just scatter it about over the ground. And the ground that, in those days, would produce without any kind of fertilizer. They won't do it today. Did he age the manure or did he just take it fresh? You take it right out of the barn and scatter it out there. Mm -hmm. In the spring or in the fall? Well, usually in, uh, early in the spring. Oh, because because the animals were in the barn in the winter and not so much yeah, in the summer. Yeah, they, I think, right? they they were in the barn during the winter and they had a pretty well built up supply of manure in the spring. Mm -hmm. And when he cleaned his stalls out in the spring, early in the spring, he put it on his garden and on his patches if he had more than the garden needed. Well, the first thing she planted in the spring of the year, she she put out her onion buttons. March, maybe? Hmm? Was that around March? Well, yeah, February and March. You could plant them in February. And she she grew her own buttons. They didn't have any. You couldn't go to the store oh. to buy them. How did she do that? Well, she 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 planted those multiplying onions, the big old red multiplying onions, and they had these. Uh, buttons on top of the of the onions. See, they'd go away up there and have a stem up there and half a dozen buttons on the top. Well, she'd gather them when they got ripe and save them over till the next spring. Then she'd plant that, those tubers or buttons and they'd make onions and then they'd go on up there and make more buttons. So they, that's the way they did. They didn't go to the store and buy buttons. In other words, they had to make a living at home. They just, they, you couldn't go to the store and buy much stuff because there wasn't much stuff to buy. And then people just made their living, just got to practice making their living at home. That's the first thing she put out is her onions in the spring of the year. And after the onions got up a little ways, uh, she always planted her cabbage seeds in between the onions, at certain intervals. She didn't put them thick, but she'd put them where there'd be skips or where she'd pull out onion to take in to eat. She'd put a cabbage seed there. And she'd have, time the onions got ripe, she'd take them all off, and then she'd have her old cabbage right where the onions were. How did you get cabbage seed? Well, she'd leave a few stalks in the garden to go to seed. When do they go to seed? After they head up? After they head up and burst out. Yeah. They, oh, they burst out after they head up? Yeah, they just burst wide open, and then the stalk comes on up there and makes seed. And she would save it in the fall? Save then? it in the fall of the year, and have seed for the next spring. That's what they do. Yeah, cabbage stalk, if you just let it grow, it'll just burst out. 
and it, it'll come right, right up in the center and it'll just keep rolling back to see. What was the next thing that was planted in the spring? Well, she planted her, she didn't, they didn't have bunch beans in those days. It's all cornfield beans or running beans. And around the edge of this garden, she'd plant butter beans and uh, what you called October, the big old red striped October beans. And they'd run up on that garden palings, you know, and be around there and they'd be, and uh, there was no insects to bother them and you, they'd just make oodlings of beans. And then she'd, in the corn, out in the cornfield, they'd plant cornfield beans and they'd run up on the corn and they'd just be bushes and bushes of cornfield beans out there. What are, are the cornfield beans the kind of beans you eat dry or green? Well, you eat them, you eat, we, ate, we ate them green as long as, uh, as the season was in and then she'll, what we didn't pick full frost, why, then they dried. After the frost hit them, of course, they just dried up. And you gather them for your soup beans during the winter. Bring them in by the sackfuls, we did. And she'd, we'd thrash them out, put them in sacks, and had soup beans for all the winter. Were those beans, the cornfield beans, kind of like pole beans, just long, thin green That's beans? what they were. That's what they were, pole beans. I grew them this year. I had a patch of corn down there and I planted cornfield beans in this year. And that's the most of the beans we had. My half runner and bunch beans, they didn't do any good. But I had plenty of cornfield beans. Well, where was your daddy's cornfield? It wasn't in the quarter acre plot, was it? No, he, he had a little patch here and a little there where he could clear up. Uh-huh. He just started clearing up around. There's pretty good boundary, uh, pretty, pretty good smooth land all around. And he just began clearing up. And by spring, he had a great big field cleared up. And uh, he just went in there and planted his corn. And he had a patch pretty close to the barn where he planted his syrup cane. We always made some syrup because we, the kids liked syrup and we had it every year. We'd have syrup cane. Had to haul it about four miles to get it made up. Uh, well, okay, well what came after, uh, you were going through like kind of the order in which things were planted. I kind of forget where we were. Well, now we we got through the the onions and the cabbage. Right. Then she she had our sweet potatoes in the garden. And the way they planted those sweet potatoes, they didn't plant them in ridges like we do now. They raked up individual hills. Just rake up a hill of dirt, make it about twelve inches high, and about It'd be about 24 inches in diameter down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And she'd make a rope plumb across the garden. And <coughs> they'd take the potatoes that grew the year before. And it would cut them in pieces. And 
put down in that hill. A, a piece of a potato down in each hill. And they would sprout and come up and make potatoes. They didn't have, I never saw a potato planter or slip as they call it. In those days, they just planted the potato down in the hill and it'd come up and make the potatoes. And they'd always save some over to the next spring plant. You had to cut them with a little eye, so there's a little eye in each Yeah, place. you cut them with eye, John. A few eyes in them. And uh, she had, in one corner of her garden, she had her uh, medicinal plants, medicinal plants. Oh. She had her rue, she had her mallards, she had her comfrey roots, she had her Jerusalem oak, and all that stuff was in one corner of the garden and it never was plowed up. She very carefully keep being plowed up and it is a, a perennial plant right. come every spring. My mother took care of the garden with the kids. Right, and your daddy took care of the corn? He took care of the of the farm. Uh -huh. He planted pumpkins and, and his Irish potatoes, he planted them out in cornfields. Oh, in the cornfield. He didn't plant them in the garden. Didn't plant Irish potatoes in the garden because uh, it, we had to have all that space in there for the things that, that we used all along and along. Right. Her, her greens, her mustard greens and her turnip greens and her onions and her cabbage and her potatoes. She generally had it full, but she had a row of flowers in every garden. And those flowers, I can remember that they were poppies with heads that big and uh, and uh, princess feathers. I've never seen none as big in 40 years. The one she had in her garden, she had a row in there mixed. Poppies, princess feathers, Zinnias, marigolds, and things like that. She had them in the garden. Did, did you have squash? Yeah, we had squash and cucumbers. Now cucumbers, she planted them in the garden. Well, when did, kind of going back, you mentioned mustard and turnip greens. Mm -hmm. Now, when did she plant those? What time of year? Well, in September. Now she planted the mustard. Had she had mustard weed early in the spring. Yeah. But her turnips, she planted them in September, so that uh, she could have turnips all winter. Did they have any different varieties of, uh, say, beans or corn or anything? They had. They had about three varieties of beans. They had what they called the October. They had the uh, the old black and white speck of butter beans, and then they had the white cornfield beans. They had three different kinds of beans. How about corn? Well, uh, he didn't have but he didn't have but one kind of corn that I remember as long as I stayed at home, and everybody knew his kind of corn. It had just a little bit of yellow cast in it. And it's a dense 
of the dead corn is hard and uh, it made awful good bread. Was it good for eating too? Just boiling or, or whatever? Well, we, we never grew any sweet corn and I never heard tell of sweet corn in those days. Oh, really? No. Was it the, was the white corn then? It's just, just white corn that we planted in the field and he'd go in, out in the field and bring in corn for roasting ears. How, what roasting ears? How do you eat them? Well, she, she cut off the cob and fried it or cooked boiled it or whatever. I see. But you did used to eat the white corn anyway. Yeah, we ate it. Yeah, that's all we knew anything about. Right. And we'd eat as long as it wasn't hard. Mm-hmm. And, and then your daddy would take... How long would he let it stay out in the field before he took it to the mill to be ground up? Well, it had to... He generally had whole corn from the year before to take to mill till this matured and away in the winter after lots of cold weather it'd get dried out enough to where he could take it to mill and make new new, oh, new it bread. It wouldn't rot just sitting out there? Huh? It doesn't rot sitting out there? That didn't in those days. Didn't, there, didn't anything bother it. You see, there wasn't any insects in those days to hurt things, to bother things, everything. Even apples, there didn't know one of them apples. Nothing. And his, his corn, he gently planted his corn Start on my birthday. My birthday was the twelfth day of April. That was his day to start planting corn. The weather was where he could. And then in June he planted his cane. And uh, of course he saved his seed when he planted his cane. He saved every blade to the father because that's what the sheep had to have for the winter. The sheep do well on cane part and they liked it. They had sheep out in the woods, and they'd come in in the winter, and uh, we'd have to feed them. And then my, uh, he generally tied up his seed and hung it up in the, over the head in the smokehouse where the rats couldn't get to it, because they'd eat it. They, they'd eat up your cane seed, sure, if you didn't put it where they couldn't get to it. We want to ask you about how you first started gardening and how you cleaned it off and all that. Well, most usually, when a couple married, they settled at the old, at an old place, or if they didn't settle near where they could garden on the old home farm, they cleared up the new ground, they grubbed up the stumps, and cut the big trees, and all the small things, they took them up by the roots, see, and they worked the garden up, and back then, now, when my mother and father was raising us, and I've been gardening and following my mama since I was four years old, and she'd let me plant beans and everything. And they cleared their garden, of course, and everything before I was born, but they settled and built the log house. Well, my uncle had built the house, but dad lived on his farm. Part of, part of the land belonged to my dad, and that was at Murphy down how much you Merton up there. And uh, so uh, they cleared the garden and then back then uh, they had the garden as near square, you know, big square, and they divided it in four sections and planted the 
corn in one section and the vegetables and then the potatoes and, and other things in the other sections. And between these sections, they reached up rows and they bought those rows and let us children play in, in the, that walkway. And we didn't get in the garden when we slept. And they planted beets, carrots, and parsnips, and all these root vegetables on those, uh, and, and radishes, you know, like that, on those ridges around the squares in the garden. About what time of the year did you do well, your first Well, just plant? about like we do now. They usually started planting about Easter up in the high areas, you know, like up in here. Of course, now, more or less, they plant potatoes and the onions and radishes and the greens, whatever kind you want to plant, um, in February or the last February or first of March, just whenever the weather's suitable to plant. And back then, we didn't know anything about commercial fertilizer. And my father, I don't know whether everybody did or not, because it's been too far back for me to remember, but they always hauled leaves and pine straw, and of course, there weren't too many pines where we could get the straw up here in the mountains. They would haul in the leaves and rake up all the leaves from the trees and around the yard and all the, the flowers, you know, that had died down. And they cleaned up around the house. And my dad started just like you'd build a pen for something, you know, four or five logs high. And he'd put a load of several loads of leaves. Or they usually pulled them up with a sled then, you know, packed them in, had a little frame just like a wagon bed, you know. And put the leaves in and then hauled the barnyard litter. And from the, my father, always had a horse, but it was just for riding purposes and things like that, but he kept oxen plowing it. And uh, he would put the leaves, then he'd get a load of the barnyard litter. And uh, they kept that cleared up and would haul leaves and put in the stalls where the cows and the horses stayed, you know. And ever so often they take that out and throw it in this pen. And by springtime, all that was deteriorated and mushed together, you know. And that's what we fertilized the gardens with. And the ashes from the fireplaces. My mother always had flowers. And I've always loved flowers from a little girl. And we'd go along and look at the flowers and then when we wanted to flower pot to the house, she'd let us cut. And the same way by the vegetables. She taught us how to gather vegetables and when they was ready to get. So that's how we fertilized. And people lived at home then. And they had everything on the farm and just the flour. And most everybody used to raise wheat so you can make that homegrown bread. But uh, that, I don't remember him having too much wheat while we lived in, after I grew up. Could you give the order, kind of like in order, what you planted first down well, to what you planted last? Well, they planted the potatoes, the Irish potatoes, and onions, and uh, the mustard greens, or turnips and turnip greens, you know, like you'd have, like we do now. And then uh, 
a little later then, they planted corn and the beans. And uh, then in the field, they planted all the whole fields with corn. See, people that, uh, they don't raise cotton up here like they do further on down in Georgia. And uh, mother had a little cotton patch, but it just, just began to open about the time frost hit. But she'd always plant a few rows of cotton. And then, in the matter, we'd pick the seed out, watching card and spin for flour. Mm -hmm. And uh, then she'd, uh, they'd plant the beans and, and peas. Of course, they had uh, a little, like we had the little English peas or the early garden peas, but they were a different pea. And there was what they called the salad peas, and we still have them. Agnes plants them occasionally. I don't care too much for them, but I do have the other peas now. And then all through the summer, uh, you know, farther on up, you can't plant as late as we do down here. And she would plant beans to have, they'd have beans from Walter Frost in the field where they had corn. Mm -hmm. And we had peas and the uh, soup beans, we raised the soup beans she did to have for the weather supply. And then uh, at the old place there was all kind of fruits. I mean apples for different seasons, there's more apples. There was plums and a few peaches, but not many. And uh, she dried apples then to go with the garden vegetables. Then as, as the vegetables began to get ready to can, we didn't know what canning was. Then she, Mother had barrels that you pickle beans and made the craft. You know, like they do now. Yeah. I guess you all, all know how to make craft. And we had, uh, then, then uh, they gathered up the Irish potatoes. Of course, they had sweet potatoes too. And they didn't plant the sweet potatoes in rolls like we plant them now. They took this commercial, I mean home-made fertilized, and they dug a hole down and filled it full of this fertilized, then made a big hill, just a mound, and set, put, planted a sweet potato in there. And that's, that's how we had our sweet potatoes. How did you start um, saving it, the vegetables and stuff during the well, month? Well, when they, when they got they had to start with to half of the table, you know, just for the homies. And then mother would have another patch of beans, but when the cornfield beans come, she started then in the cabbage patch. She made crap, and they pickled corn and beans and, and uh, made crap. And then they gathered the parsnips and the carrots and turnips and both the sweet potatoes and Irish potatoes. Did you bury the potatoes? Put them in the cellar. How, did you, how do you know when to pick the potatoes? How did you know when to Well, pick you know, in, down in Georgia now, people have to gather the potatoes early because the sun is so hot, and as soon as they mature, they plow them up and store them in a dark uh, shed or something, and sprinkle lime over them to keep them through the summer and then to half the winter. But up here, as soon as the potatoes don't mature till later in the summer, you right. see, 
and uh, we don't have to give them till in the fall up here. Usually October or first of November is when we dig them here. Do you remember how they saved all their seeds? Could you explain? They, they how let they it, let it dry. They strung it on the string. You see the leather breeches beans. Mm -hmm. Well, my mother dried leather breeches beans, and then she dried all of her peppers on the string. They just have the whole up across the porch, you know, fixed to where she could hang it on the sticks and, and dried it. And then they had their seed, and we saved all of our seed beans and everything. They didn't have to buy any garden seeds. buy any seeds at all. Any seeds at all. And if, if one of them had a different kind of beans or corn or something, or got a new uh, strand of something to plant, while they didn't sell it, they shared it. Do you think there's a difference between the old um, like types of, of vegetables and Yes, there the is, honey. And I don't know whether it's uh, when people have grown older and our taste buds are, are uh, getting away from us, dimming, or like our eyes, I don't know. But it doesn't seem like the vegetables here taste as good now really? as they used to. And you know, I don't, I used to love fruits, and I ate fruit all the time. I still do, but I just have to force myself because I don't care for them like I used to. Mm -hmm. Do you have any trouble with insects? With what, huh? Insects. Yes, we do now, but we didn't then. We didn't know what these beetles and bugs, oh, there's always been little worms and things like that on vegetables, but you didn't see these big old uh, terrapin bugs on the collards and cabbage and the greens. And we might have had the little ladybugs, but now there's weevils, and you never hardly saw a worm in the corn. <laughs> if you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>